Hello, everyone listening, and thank you again for joining us here on the Formulas in One Jackass podcast. As always, my name is Ryan, and joining me is... Christopher here. Yeah, we just had the Iberian races, uh, so the Spanish Grand Prix, the latest one. I can't wait to talk about that. Yes, so before we get into our podcast, where of course we're adding a little flavor to the world of Formula One, I want to give a quick shout about our uh, social media. So if you're not on there yet, please give us a follow on Instagram at Formulas and One Jackass and on Twitter at Formulas and One. So this time I did it at the beginning of the podcast, so you don't have to wait until the end to give us a follow. So again, uh, Barcelona, Spain was just finished. Uh, so let's let's get cracking, Christopher. Yes, that was actually a really good race, wasn't it? It was surprising. I mean, so we we talked about it being a procession, which in some ways was, mm-hmm. but we did have uh, unexpected entertainment uh, in form of strategy and and unexpected endings uh, to things that um, yeah left us with a with a nice aftertaste for once. Yeah. There was a lot to analyze, uh, lots of strategies, like you said, uh, that made the race exciting, you know, around the, t- towards the end of the race, it was quite clear who was going to be the winner, but still, you know, there was a good part of the beginning and the middle where we, it could have been anyone's race still. Um, yeah, lots of good battles and the new turn 10, I think it just improves the flow. I'm not sure if it improves the overtaking, but, um, yeah, the cars are not as clumsy anymore going through that section. Uh, so that was nice. Um, so yeah, overall, I think I was very positively surprised. I didn't expect too much from this race, um, but yeah, maybe it helps that we didn't go testing there. Yeah, for the first time since I think it was 2014, there was no preseason testing at Barcelona uh, while having a race. This year, very limited testing, only one session in Bahrain. So we didn't go to Barcelona. Barcelona is usually the track where teams do the preseason testing. Um Having multiple sessions there uh, when when testing was a thing in in Formula One, but since we have uh, moved away from having a lot of testing sessions for costs involved, and also because the calendar is a lot longer nowadays with a lot more races, so more races, less testing, which uh, has its good things, but also its bad things. I think the 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 testing adds a lot of opportunity for young drivers to come in and we see because of the lack of testing even experienced formula one drivers still getting to grips with their cars because of the lack of testing so and because of the lack of testing this year mercedes you know came off a bit of a yeah they didn't have time to really uh troubleshoot their issues in time so the beginning of the season could be a bit more exciting perhaps and maybe that's but something they're there, we but should they're look there. to. You know, hmm? uh, they're there again. They're back again. They're there again, and fair yeah. play to them. But I was thinking, um, maybe testing shouldn't be equal for everyone. Maybe that should be part of the prize that the I the mean, they're teams trying the to do the same with the the amount of time in the wind tunnel. Like yes, upcoming. exactly. So the exactly. the champions have less time than, or way less time than the the team that finished last in the championship. Yeah. So that's how they sort of try to have that uh performance or balance of performance uh yeah sort of thing not really with weight in the car like used in other series other racing series but in terms of uh testing and and development of of the car they have only x amount of hours um that they can use in the not only in the wind tunnel 
but also I believe in um, other like CFD uh, mm-hmm. uh, models or exactly. testing and such. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things there. Um, but imagine, let's say this year, um, that Mercedes would only get one day of testing, like one filming day and one day of testing as the constructors champions. I think that would have been super exciting. And, you know, then towards the low end of the grid, people have more testing. And the money of that should maybe not come from the teams, but maybe uh, the FIA should pay for that. Uh, I think that could be a good way to kind of make the season a bit more exciting. You you don't, like you punish the winners. It's always like that with regulations changes. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's it shouldn't be a thing if we're going to have a big change in regulation like we're going to do next year. But I think that maybe could be something to, to look into. But uh, going back to talking about the track in Spain, um, it's so impressive seeing the cars here. It was at the last track as well, but it is really... You know, going through the quick corners here, um, you can really sense how how grippy these cars are, what kind of beasts they are. And yeah, I think in the past years, I've not been too happy with the Spanish Grand Prix because it simply was a boring track. But seeing him at this race was, uh, yeah, it was very positive. I think it's a good track. It's a good track. It's just that the teams know it too well. That's the thing. The, The teams, the drivers, they know it too well. So they can prepare for any scenario because they have the data available. Uh, they've ran, they've ran every single possible simulation, so there is not really a a potential spanner in the works that that could derail everything. So mm-hmm. that's why we mentioned the word procession uh, last race. But I suppose if we're looking at this race, uh, we had something that is, you know makes Formula One unique. So to provide a bit of context, we had an epic battle at the front. Max Verstappen having a great start, a very aggressive start to get the lead of the uh, of the race with uh, Hamilton being closely behind uh, throughout pit stops. Um, you know, sometimes being within the one second DRS zone, sometimes just without, uh, just outside. Um, they made their pit stops, Max going first. Uh, he himself made the call to come in at that time. Because he was being caught by Hamilton, uh, the the soft tire having a lot of degradation, that um, he was losing a lot of time. So when he came into the pit, uh, the pit crew wasn't ready for him. So he lost about a second because the tire still had to be brought from the garage to the uh, to the car to be assembled on. Then after both on medium tires, what ended up happening was Hamilton again being within that DRS zone, but once he was finally behind uh there was an amazing strategy call by mercedes where they called lewis hamilton into the pits to get some new uh fresh medium tires um going behind or leaving the pits behind his teammate but with such fresh tires was able to be about one to two seconds per lap faster than max verstappen in front and in the end uh catching and overtaking max verstappen so that scenario right there, uh, right after Max Verstappen, uh, rather, right after Lewis Hamilton came into the pit, that is where the excitement and and emotion of Formula One comes in as a fan. So yeah. on two sides of the of the of the camp, actually, depending on which driver you support, you have a a, a sense of nervousness and and excitement and feeling if you're a, a lewis hamilton fan you're just hoping that he can pump in the laps that he's able to catch 
uh, Max Verstappen in the lead and hopefully overtake him. If you're a Max Verstappen fan, you're just hoping that uh, Lewis Hamilton doesn't catch up, that these tires can last and he can win the race. So different sorts of emotions, but all part of Formula One. And for me, as a neutral viewer, it is just absolute heaven. Being able to witness this and seeing this uh, from sort of a, a, a neutral uh, fan, this is just great for the sport that yep. the championship battle continues into race four and we have a different sort of dynamic to it. Yeah, and so many hypotheticals during the race, you know, should Red Bull react to this? Should they stay out? Should you just gamble on it? And yeah, it's it was not a race that was clear cut from the beginning. And I think that's what makes it exciting. Like there were so many things. It was it was for Mercedes to to win this race and for Red Bull to lose it in that sense that Mercedes were gambling a bit, trying to see if they could catch Verstappen. And at that point, it must have been amazing to be Lewis Hamilton on fresh tires, just being told, OK, now go chase him down. Of course, still looking after the tires to a certain extent uh, and how tough it must be to be Verstappen and just know that Lewis Hamilton is just like barreling down towards him uh, and, yeah, trying to defend that position. And also Verstappen's move on... Uh, and the first lap, that was that was a good move. Uh, you can see these it was, are two. It was tough but fair. It was tough but fair, and yeah. it was a very confident move. And he couldn't have done it had it not been on Lewis Hamilton, because someone else would not have avoided him, Correct. and it would have been ugly. So you really saw this racecraft between them, uh, that like split second decision of Lewis having to just avoid and Max just pushing a bit wide there. Um, but yeah, no, but amazing, it also amazing. for me it made the race as well that mm -hmm. Max was able to jump Lewis at the start because if Lewis just drove off, you know, yeah. retained the lead uh, from the start, it would have been a completely different race. It would yeah, have then truly sure. been a, a, a procession, as it were. But, uh, you know, building on to what we discussed last podcast, so we predicted this championship to, to go down to the wire based on, you know, the performance on one car, uh, one particular car on that day to see, mm -hmm. you know, which one is better and who walks away with the win at the end of the Grand Prix at the end of that day. Um, one factor we also have to keep in mind is, of course, the teams and the strategy of that. And in this race, that was the key, you know, to, to the victory of Lewis. Mercedes having a brilliant strategy call. The type of call that we're used to seeing from Red Bull, actually, over the past couple of Very years. Very true, yeah. Um, but this time, Mercedes pulling off a, a masterstroke and you saw also in the interviews that uh, Lewis Hamilton was right behind Max Verstappen you know um, if he stayed out we would have had I predict a, a bit of a battle for a couple of laps hopefully mm -hmm. uh, or rather you know this is all hypotheticals of course but seeing them um, change or swap places for the lead a couple of times before eventually it ended up but we didn't get to have that because uh, Mercedes called Lewis Hamilton into the pits because they truly believed that this strategy would give them the win, which ended up happening. So It did. So getting him to stop for fresh tires and taking the fresh tires to the end. Um, it was strange for the first round of pit stops where they kept Lewis out, uh, which was an interesting call. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't think that... I don't think they settled on a two-stop strategy right then and there. No, but they were playing it safe. They were just making sure that they would have that option down the line. If he yeah, could still yeah. stay out and he was not losing too much time, they would have the option to choose between uh, what to do later down yeah, in the race. 
But uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting strategy. And Red Bull doesn't seem like the team defending the championship. They seem like a team that's going after a championship now, which and is very interesting to see. Well, also the dynamic or an interesting dynamic this season is that we've seen Mercedes run away with the championship over the last couple of years. So they're always being, you know, the one being hunted. But now, yeah. because of the the performance of the Red Bulls from the start of the season, they've also had a couple of races where they were they were the hunters for once instead of yeah, being exactly. the hunted. So they got to use a different sort of skill sets and 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 weapons in order to fight for the victory. So whether that is tire preservations, whether it's strategy calls with pit stops and such, um, they're they're pulling it off. I mean, they are the world champions, and they're they're acting like world champions. Yeah. You know? These these victories that they're having is is on merit, and yeah, you won't 100%. expect anything less. Uh, interestingly, I heard uh, an interview, or rather, a podcast with uh, one of Formula One dot com's uh, journalists saying that Red Bull hasn't been in a championship fight for so many years that perhaps they've gotten rusty. You know, a championship fight is different than uh, what they previously did, which was target a couple of races per season that mm -hmm. they knew their car would be competitive due to either the nature of the track or the conditions that suited their car. But they knew that they only had a few opportunities per year to win a race, but the championship was just long gone because their main competitor was just so much better than them. Yeah. I mean, Where, they might do some gambles further down in the season that won't pay off, uh, which is a thing that Mercedes uh, haven't really done. So that'll be interesting to see for sure because they will need to gamble a bit more than Mercedes, I think, for them to stay competitive. And so let's just hope they do it, do it right so we can have a very tight uh, championship. Yeah, and then... I'm sure this will be beaten about the bush uh, quite a few times, but within the team, there are two drivers and both drivers need to deliver in order to win a championship. And right now it still is two against one Mercedes mm -hmm. against Max Verstappen. This was again, a race where Mercedes were able to play strategy games on Max Verstappen simply because Sergio Perez wasn't there uh, as a rear gunner to protect the rear of Max Verstappen. Yeah. They were able to make pit stops because uh, Perez was outside of the uh, of their pit stop window, that they were able to make that. So let's quickly turn to Perez um, very quickly. Again, for me, uh, a disappointing race, um, being behind Ricardo for, since the start and t just taking too long to get by. Similar to last race, right? Very yeah. similar uh, in that case. So, yeah, it'll, it'll take him a while, but to me, um, if we see uh, Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen, these two drivers in that position, there's a feeling of inevitabil uh, inevitability that eventually they'll get past. And mm -hmm. they know exactly this is the moment they need to get past or else their entire race is ruined. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, we can't say the same about Bottas. Bottas, when he's in that position, being behind, and we saw this with uh, Charles Leclerc this race, when he's behind, it's not you know that easy to overtake, of course, the nature of the track. Mm. But you would assume if you have a high-performing car, the car is better than the one in front, use your driving skills as a driver to get ahead. And we see the true greats being able 
to overtake when needed because yeah. it is needed. And we haven't seen that from uh, from Sergio Perez this race when he no. really needed it too. So I was yeah. I was expecting him to to jump the McLaren, to jump Ricardo, who had a better race this this race, I must say. Um, yeah, but he was just absolutely. he wasn't. It was sort of you know the. The, the second driver of Red Bull of the past couple of years. So we saw yeah. this with Pierre Gasly. We saw this with Alex Albon. Now, unfortunately, we're seeing it in Sergio Perez. But and I think still he's already outperformed both Gasly and Albon when they were in the first year of the Red Bull. And I think his experience here uh, is really helping him. So he's getting up to speed quicker. And I, I, I do think that he'll be able to play a similar role to uh, like Bottas is doing at Mercedes. Maybe not as good as Bottas uh, this year. But I, I still think that, um, yeah, it was the right choice for, for Red Bull to go with Perez. And I still think that he will improve. Uh, this weekend was similar to last weekend. A little bit clumsy at times, but uh, I think his speed is getting there. It's just how he will manage the tires in this car. That's also going to be, uh, yeah, the question, basically. Um, and just to talk about Ricardo as well. Finally, he had a decent race. I think McLaren had, they, 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 uh, they screwed up this race. They could have gotten a much better result. Uh, I was really looking forward to see what Norris could do. At times, he was really quick. Um, so, yeah, it was a shame that qualifying didn't work out for him and he couldn't really move forward. Uh, but Ricardo managed to to keep a good position up in six, I think it was. Um, so, yeah, yes, yes. that was much needed from him. And I think one of the standouts for me in this race was Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari. Yeah, absolutely. Again. Yeah, just yeah. outdriving it. So in the start, managing to jump Bottas for third. And being, you know, being able to pull a gap to Bottas yeah. up until the, the first pit stops. Yeah. I think he had uh, a gap of like two, three seconds uh, in front of the Mercedes, which is fantastic. Then, you know, due to various factors, uh, he wasn't able to be competitive after a pit stop. Um, I think it, it was, you know, a, a, um, a wrong call from Ferrari to call him in at that particular time. Yeah. They, they kept him out. But, um, yeah, it is a usual sort of Ferrari tactics. But he yeah. was competitive. Um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't inevitable that Bottas got through, but you could expect uh, yes. a Mercedes car to, to get yeah. through. Eventually. It is the best result they could have hoped for for this race. That's what I think. For sure. So they finished ahead of their main competitors, which is McLaren this season. Mm-hmm. And they've managed to finish ahead of a Red Bull. So yeah. that is a huge scalp. That is Absolutely. truly a really, really yeah. good result. There are three drivers in this grid that are just on another level, I think, at the moment. And that's Leclerc, Verstappen and Hamilton. Um, they seem to really get most out of their races, every race. Uh, and you don't see that quite often. Yeah. So those are the, the current generation. I want to focus on the future generation. Mm-hmm. And once again, this race, Mick Schumacher has really impressed me once yeah. again. So having a great start, being ahead of uh, uh, both Williams and a couple of other cars as well, I think being high up until 15, so having having a great start and being able to keep the Williams back for several yeah. laps. So even though he has, as we mentioned before, uh, a, a worse car, so um, the Williams is a better car. He was even in front of, I think it was an uh, Alfa Romeo, uh, in the first up, uh, first opening laps. Yeah. So that was that was a great drive. Of course, yeah. he couldn't stay ahead simply because the the cars he was competing with are better 
than his car. At some point they caught up, but yeah. it was really interesting to see the onboard of the Williams chasing him down because they've been talking about the Williams is not good at following other cars specifically, and it was very noticeable. Every time like Russell was taking a line through a corner, he was slightly off not to be directly behind Schumacher and then in the in the apex of the corner where they basically both have to be at the same spot, right? Uh, just behind each other or behind uh, Schumacher in this case, you could really see suddenly the car just loses all the downforce and he'd had to do a correction. And my girlfriend who was watching as well, she thought it was obvious like uh, how they were losing the downforce in front. So that was really interesting to see. Uh, but of course, yeah, the, the Williams is a better car than the Haas uh, over a whole lap. So yeah, it was inevitable, like you said. But yeah, it was very mature drive from Schumacher. And I see him it is he has a couple of mistakes here and there but overall so far he's been it's, driving it's, very maturely it's still his fourth race so he's, yeah, he's permitted exactly. to make and a couple of mistakes also during his pit stop um just missing his marks a bit yeah but you know he's still a rookie and yeah. he's able to deliver performance already i was apologizing watching that, to the team after when that yeah, happened asking i was, if everyone I was, was okay, watching you know? the the russell and schumacher battle mm-hmm. and i was thinking to myself if this is what we can expect in the future, we're yeah. in for a treat. Yeah. Um, I was already thinking, you know, Mercedes versus Ferrari, you know, in the future, yeah. Russell there, Schumacher there. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's yeah, yeah. Exactly. still focus on the present. But what we're seeing so far, I'm really enjoying and I'm, I'm hugely impressed once again. Yeah. So and to talk about uh, other rookies. Mazepin as well had a forgettable weekend. No, uh, the, the the stats are he finished 49 seconds behind Schumacher. Yeah. And this is, uh, of course, we had safety cars uh, in the meantime as well, which mm-hmm. he was able to catch up. But last race, it was more than a minute. Yeah. Uh, I think in Imola, there was also a significant gap. This race, like 49 seconds, it's, it's at one point, you're just, you know, shitting yourself i'm sorry gunter you can't talk yourself out of this one um but uh yeah money i would have expected more from him like without all the controversy around him i i seriously did expect more from him so i'm a bit surprised that he he doesn't seem to have you know found any good rhythm there's not a single positive uh for his season so far it must be tough being him as well you know um so, yeah, uh, Leclerc was complaining about him as well and kind of giving him a shove as well. So I don't think the other drivers like him. And I think he needs to really be mentally strong to go through with this season. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in his position, that's for sure. Um, and also another rookie, if we uh, can talk a bit about Tsunoda and this race. So we were talking about, or I was saying that he would do something controversial. I didn't expect it to already be <laughs> happening. So, yeah, he had a forget forgetful race and in qualifying, he got upset and kind of lashed out during an interview. I could sense what he was trying to say, that he was not blaming the team and he was not trying to say that the cars are fundamentally different. But he was just frustrated that he couldn't get the setup to work on his car and he couldn't really get that going for him. But he was a bit flustered and it came out saying that it sounded like he was blaming the team for that. And he then came out with an apology. And but you told people me now that are he faced a, bit a tired lot of, of backlash. Huh? You, you told me that he faced a lot of backlash on, on social media and the online presence. Yeah, Marcus Ericsson, for instance, said like it was fun in the first couple of times when you're cursing on the radio, but now it, he just needs to calm down and get his attitude in order because, yeah, in order to stay in Formula One, you'd have to be focused. You can't let your emotions get ahead of you all the time. And I think that's what he needs. He needs to go about it a bit differently. And he does seem very, 
immature. He is young, of course, but it's one of those areas I think he needs to work on because he has the speed. He just needs to build up his confidence slowly. And yeah, the way he went about this weekend was not, yeah, it was it was not nice to see. So I think... Uh, but massive yeah. learnings. I mean, yeah. he, in, I always say that in order to do something well, um, you have to know how to do it wrongly as opposed yes. to do it right. Yeah, but that's true as well. So, that's true as well. But Massive um, learnings for him. I think, you know, everyone will, will, will give feedback. I think some of the some of the comments that um that that were put on social media was a bit too far of course yeah. we've been hyping him up like we've mentioned everyone's been talking about him every single race since the start of the season he's bound to make mistakes you know he still yeah. is a rookie still is a young guy we have to forgive him um and give him some slack so he is to me uh, a very demanding uh racing driver and personality he expects a lot of himself he expects a lot of the team and there's nothing wrong with being demanding uh fernando alonso is another example of being very demanding the difference yes, is but he has alonso something to is a show two for year, exactly alonso you know? is a two-time world champion yeah whereas yuki sonda still has to deliver the results the actual yes. results because yeah. yes he finished in the points in bahrain but the couple of races after that simply weren't good enough crashing no, he can he can afford to be demanding when he knows what he's talking about and he knows what he's doing which is not the case yet so he should just sit down try and learn have an open mind be malleable uh, in how you go about races tire management all these things uh, he has to yeah kind of rethink that but yeah, not but looking looking from the cultural aspect of it all which also fascinates me it's yeah. very un-japanese it's not in a way I don't know how to explain it. It's it's yeah. Uh, it, he's he's more Japanese than many other drivers we've seen in that sense that he is more direct and upfront. And Japanese people can be like that with each other. Perhaps not in the media, for instance. But yeah, I think he's not that shy uh, because his yeah his level of English is really good. Um, so I I do think he's very he is of this newer generation of uh, Japanese drivers. I, I, by the way, just a little side note. I was listening to uh, Kamui Kobayashi's uh, Beyond the Grid episode. Have you heard that? I have. have. You listened to it? Yes. Yeah. So I'm halfway through and they're talking about his tire management and how Perez learned from Kobayashi. Mm -hmm. And so Tom Clarkson asks uh, Kamui, what, what is it about tires? And he mentions that he was talking a lot with Bridgestone engineers back in the day to get information, which I thought was really interesting because, of course, he could do that with Japanese and really get an understanding of the tires. And how the balance between the front of the rear of the car is really important to maintain a good balance so you can't push it. And then uh, at, at one point, he, he has a bit of a hard time explaining certain things. But at one point, he says, tire is life. Tire is life. Um, you can't expect, uh, what, what, what does he say? Uh, you can't ask of it too much. Just like human, it will give up. And I was like, yeah, that's that's actually a really, really funny quote. So, no, but that was really enlightening. And I think that really uh, put into perspective how much of like tire management of course plays a big deal in formula one but there's not just one way to go about tire management and uh, yeah that was really interesting now to me what jumps to mind is you know when Pirelli first came into formula one we had an epic battle between fernando alonso and sebastian vettel mm -hmm. and sebastian was the type that spent a lot of time with Pirelli to understand the characteristics mm -hmm. much like his big mentor michael schumacher did mm -hmm with Bridgestone in fact oh, yeah. the, 
uh, one of the prominent people of Bridgetown during that time was actually a Dutchman called Kees van der Grind. And he mm-hmm. has since retired, uh, but in retirement gave an interview to explain how much time Michael Schumacher actually spent with him, with Bridgetown, to understand and, and grab every ounce of performance that was available. Because... Now, the tires are the most important thing in, in yeah. motor racing. They're the only things connecting uh, the car to the surface, to the track. So it's knowledge equation, of tires right? is, is, is worth, it's more than gold in, in Formula One. So the ones who truly understand and can manage the tires end up having performances. Yeah. So we see uh, a lot of you know great drivers ultimately becoming world champions because they've able to graph the maximum performance out of the tires yeah and i think with kobayashi especially he would if it would have suited him really well this formula this uh, new 2017 onwards formula um yeah uh, it's a shame i would have loved to have had him stay in formula one a little bit longer yeah i would say because barcelona is such a benchmark for formula one you know testing mm-hmm. and such it's also gives a benchmark to how the tires were performing so mm-hmm. We saw a lot of grading as well, even with these new compounds. I think the the sort of the performance drop. So when they have when they went into tire conservation mode, it was a it feels like it was a bit more than last year. Mm-hmm. We we cannot compare directly lap times because it's a different compound structure. Uh, they're heavier as well. So they brought in these changes uh, because the. The, because of the amount of downforce uh, levels that the the cars last year were producing, the tires weren't able to handle this. So they made a regulation change regarding downforce, but they also brought a new compound mm-hmm. to it. Tires, again, this race were key. And again, it was limited by that. Um, but I was surprised to see that the top two runners having two different strategies. I was expecting everyone to be on a one-stopper. Um, so yeah, that was very positive. I, I wouldn't have expected this here at Barcelona. Um, yeah, I think as well. The what teams definitely, or rather, what teams telling to me is the pace of the Mercedes on the medium tire, yeah, which is just exactly impressive. We saw yeah. that qualifying Portimao just during the race Portimao. This stretch as well. It is just you know when you put the medium tires on the Mercedes in these temperature windows because it wasn't too hot it was you know between 19 to 23 degrees mm-hmm. uh, once we get to 26 degrees air temp and higher of course there'll be different conditions which would not be suitable to either the the car or the operating window of the of the tire yeah but in these sort of cooler conditions and the medium tire the mercedes looks like the mercedes of old uh, yeah, but I think Mercedes, they always focus on making a car that is good on medium tires. That seems to be their, their baseline. And then they adjust it uh, according to what they need. And other teams, they don't. I don't really think they think that way. Uh, they just think of, you know, making sure that they can maintain the tires, not, you know, abuse them too much, still keep up pace, still have good pace. But Mercedes specifically focus on, okay, these medium tires, this is what a lot of strategy um it's going to involve these tires, so we better make sure we have a really good baseline with that. And uh, yeah, I think that's a really good way to go about it. This season as well, what we are limited by is that Pirelli gets to allocate the the amount of tires for each team. So they yeah. have a standard 
two hard tires, X amount of mediums, and X amount of soft tires mm-hmm. that teams can use throughout the weekend. Where beforehand, the teams could elect how many of which compound they would take to the Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, but this time around, yeah, they went to Spain, they took the hardest compounds available, and every team had two hard tires, X amount of mediums. Yeah. So there's not a lot of, you know, deviation in that no. sense up to the teams as well which takes away uh, potential strategy battles uh, as well so we had a great one here but yeah we want to see more of that yes. in formula one and we want to see teams having the having their own choice of, of tires and according to how their how their car suits uh, the characteristics of the track and also tires yeah i agree um Maybe they should even look at something different that they should allow um, four different types of compounds instead of just yeah, the three. Yeah, because even though it got to the point of being kind of ridiculous because you had all the colors of the rainbow and tires. Yeah, but that remember was when they had like the hyper soft and then the ultra soft and then yeah, the soft soft. So then it had pink and purple and such. And it all got a bit confusing. But when you say you know the the hyper soft i think the pink tires around mm-hmm. singapore that was excitement you know yeah. where now they have such a conservative approach yeah. you know we can take a look at the track look at some corners and know exactly yep they're going to bring be bringing the hardest compounds because it is a difficult corner you know there is yeah. high deck so it is too conservative i mean the the tire pressures are through the roof mm-hmm. it's yeah again there's always a lot of salt for Pirelli and the yeah. tires but yeah we should I maybe think... not talk too much about it because <laughs> we can just keep going on and on and on and at the end of the day we're actually not experts right so uh yeah now, we don't know the number one expert we're talking about. from my armchair I mean there's no other exactly. armchair expert than my armchair mm-hmm. actually I don't have an armchair it's my couch uh but uh yeah you should get one Anyways, going back to Barcelona, but not Formula One. So this race saw the return of Formula Three. So which I completely time, forgot about. I feel, oh man, that was so silly. And you call I, yourself I was, a I'm, racing fan? I'm sorry. I actually had a busy weekend, even though I was indoors. Yeah. Anyways, going back to Formula Three, um, it was the first race of the season for Formula Three. So. We mentioned in the previous podcast how Formula 2 and Formula 3 are going to be alternating. So they're not going to be on the same race weekend anymore. We had Formula 2 in the opening race in Bahrain. And we skipped a couple of supporting series or junior series. And this race was the first one that the Formula 3 field had. uh, Or rather the Formula 3 field was there. Um, The similar type of calendar for as formula two so they had three races per weekend they had two on the saturday and one on the sunday with the qualifying on the friday for that so the formula three calendar is actually very exciting so the 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 tracks they're visiting and a lot better than the formula two calendar so i'll i'll just mention which races we're going to so they're they started in spain so seven Mm -hmm. races in total spain um, Paul Ricard in France, the Red Bull Ring in Austria, nice. the Hungaroring in Hungary. Perfect for S- F3. 
Spa Francorchamps in Belgium. Nice. Zandvoort, Netherlands. And interestingly, end season at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. So wow, that's very we're international. Going to the USA. Yeah. Which uh, in previous seasons the sporting races didn't. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a very good bunch of tracks to test out young talent to see how yes. they fare there because we have some old school tracks there, uh, very challenging tracks in that as well. So I think we were in for a very exciting year in Formula Three. Yeah, I also think it's good that they go to America. I mean. If we disregard the cost, because we are we have talked about the junior series being very way too expensive, and maybe it is a bit too expensive and extreme for Formula Three to go to America, but I also think it would be perfect for the young talent to show themselves in a different continent where racing is also like a big thing. You know, in America they have their own culture when it comes to motorsport, and for the young talent to be able to maybe showcase that in America, uh, and maybe some of the newer fans in Formula One uh, get to get to follow the junior formula as well. So I think that's uh, very positive. And more importantly, with this extra space on the calendar, uh, starting from France, we're also going to have the W Series yes. joining uh, the weekend, mm -hmm. where sometimes they'll share the calendar with Formula 3. At other races, they'll share the calendar with Formula 2. Mm -hmm. uh, the W Series is also going to America. And after nice. that... They're joining Formula One in Mexico as the only supporting race, uh, supporting Perfect. series there. Yeah. So there's bound to be, I mean, there is a lot of female talent mm -hmm. in America, in 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 Mexico. I'm sure of that as well. the The entire world is underrepresented in female drivers and yeah. female drivers in general, just underrepresented in the world of motorsports. So that's something to look forward to, um, in general. But mm -hmm. going back to Formula 3, uh, a quick shout out to uh, Juan Manuel Correa, who He's returned yeah. to Formula 3 after having uh, a, a horrific accident involving Antoine Hubert at Spa-Francorchamps in 2019. So, unfortunately, uh, tragically, we lost Antoine Hubert, a, a massive talent uh, during a Formula 2 race. Uh, Juan, Man uh, Juan Manuel Correa having severe injuries to his yeah. legs i think both of them were broken having yeah. a very long uh rehabilitation uh physical therapy um time he is back into racing starting in formula three so it's great to see that uh, he made a recovery and he's back into racing yeah absolutely so uh i'll be following him intently uh over yep. the next couple of uh please years, give me a hopefully. heads up when there's f3 or f2 or w series because i keep yeah forgetting <laughs> I will also keep the listeners informed of Perfect. which series is going to win because we come up, uh, well, not that we come up, we come out with the podcast before the race and after the race. So in the pre-race shows, I will give you a heads up as to which series we'll be racing that weekend. Perfect. Sounds good. Test. So. Um, final so notes. Final notes. Um not much to say on my end yeah no yeah. um it was a good race for spain uh, i think i was very entertained uh surprisingly so um ferraris being decent as well at this track i think was good to see um leclerc really impressive as usual shame with about norris um and i think yeah uh, the midfield looks tight as well uh we've just quick mention about alpine as well they looked strong until they uh, had a strategical blunder a bit, uh, which was a shame. 
but to see them up there again and in during free practice seeing you know Alonso Hamilton uh those two together close up was uh yeah that was that was cool and Aston Martin seems to also have improved a bit so uh yeah um can't wait what next race is Monaco yes um so I hope you know the interest rates at my bank is going to increase because we're going to need a lot of money in order to go to Monaco mm-hmm. but before you know not we but Formula One goes to Monaco mm-hmm. We, as in Christopher and I, shall be back with For another sure. episode of this podcast where we're going to uh, take a look at uh, Monaco. Yeah. Uh, Monaco, very historic place mm-hmm. in Formula One. So we're going to share some memories with you, our memories of the race in Monaco. Yes. And uh, stay tuned for that. Um, we shall be back, as always. Yes. And, as always, keep washing, keep washing hands. them hands.